If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. We're going to wrap up this chapter today. We have come to the place of the great white throne. The great white throne. When we began the book of Revelation, we noticed that in the center of it all sits a throne. I remember preaching on that. In chapters 4 and in chapters 5, we saw that there was a throne there in the middle, and it was surrounded by everything, surrounded by all of creation, surrounded by all of the people, surrounded by all of the angels, surrounded. It's this incredible scene. The sea is like glass, and there's all sorts of glorious, dynamic, huge, majestic things around the throne, but the center of it all is the throne. This is a picture of God being the most important thing. As we get here towards the end of the book of Revelation, we are back again seeing the throne. Read with me, if you will, at Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is... One of the passages in the Bible that teaches us, really without any question, that God is a judge and there will be a judgment. This is the end of the Bible, saying that at the end of the world, when Jesus comes back, there will be a judgment. Anybody who believes that one day they're going to stand before God in judgment is correct according to the truth of the word of God. Okay, We are not to be judgmental people. Jesus teaches us to not judge. But it is true that God is a judge, and he will judge. You should not be judgmental, but you should also believe that God is judgmental, and he will judge. This is the passage, one of them, that teaches us this. May you understand that. So the scene is this great white throne. And while we may wonder what the throne is like, how big is it, what's it made out of, the bigger issue is that there is one person seated on the throne. Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. In heaven, at the end of the world, in judgment, God will sit on his throne in that judgment. It's an incredible scene and one that we will all face soon enough. The next thing that we read, though, is an astounding Statement, from his presence, 
earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Whose presence? The one on the throne. The presence of the one on the throne is so big, so large, it is so overwhelming that earth and sky flee from it. Now, earth and sky are big, and you know that. You've gone outside before on a pretty day and looked up and said, wow, what a big sky. You've looked at the stars at night or a full moon, and you've thought, wow, what a big sky. You've traveled before, and you thought, wow, what a big earth we live on. The Bible is teaching us here without any real exaggeration, because this is true, that God is so much bigger than earth. Let me give you just a few numbers. The circumference of the earth is 24,000 miles. That's far. When I drive back to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit my family, it's 500 miles. It takes us eight hours, and that's long, and I don't like that. It's a long trip, 500 miles. The earth is 24,000 around it. What about water? Listen to this number. How much water is on earth? 326 million trillion gallons of water on earth. That's a lot of water, isn't it? That's a lot of water. 326 million gallon. 326 million trillion gallons of water on earth. The Bible tells us here that before him who sits on the throne, it runs. It fled. We're talking about a a big God. No matter how religious you are, how into church you are, how much you know your Bible, if you attended Sunday school this morning, listen, your view of God needs to increase. Your view of God needs to get a little bit bigger, right? When we used to teach the kids the little song, how, uh, the song about our God, how big and how strong our God is, right? We were trying to create in them that he is bigger than they realize. And if you're a seasoned veteran with church and faith now, and you've been doing this for many, many years, the same is still the truth. He is bigger than you are giving him credit for. He needs to be bigger in our lives. He needs to be more important in our lives. This is not just about his size. This is about his value and his importance. God is God and there is no other. He is almighty. There is only one. Witch doctors give up on healing people and people die over and over again. But believers faithfully pray to him and we see this large God can do anything he pleases, answer prayers and save kids and transform cultures and communities. He's big. He's working in Fairdale, and he's working in First Baptist Church Fairdale, and we praise him for that. But we need to recognize here today that he's big. Earth is huge. The sky is huge. And the Bible says here, in that day at the end, they will flee. Now, we're not going to get into it today. It's coming up. But the Bible says that earth and heavens, the heavens and the earth, are going to go away. And after the return of Christ, in the, when the kingdom of God is fully set up, we will have a new heavens and a new earth. So this one needs to go away in order for us to get the new one anyway. But this passage tells us, in his presence, earth and sky fled away. 
The quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders, David Carr, who didn't end the season too well, and I don't even think he's on a team anymore, one time said this, though. The sun is 92 million miles away, and it will burn your eyes out. And you think you will casually stroll into the presence of its creator? That's a good quote, isn't it? From a football player, too, not from a scholar. The sun is 92 million miles away, and it will burn your eyes out if you look at it. And you think you will casually stroll into his presence, the presence of the one who created the sun? No, God is a big God. And here in verse 11, we see that before him on the throne, earth and sky fled away. In verse 12, we have the next scene. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. My first point this morning for taking notes and for the kids that are using a listing page is that, number one, the dead before the throne. This is going to happen, and the Bible tells us it's going to happen. Every joke you've heard or every question that you've heard asked, it says, hey, what are you going to do when you stand before God? When you stand before God and he asks you this, or you stand before God and he asks you that. Now, the Bible does not tell us anywhere, the Bible does not tell us anywhere of any question that he's going to ask us when we stand before God. We tell jokes like that and we ask people questions like that, but it doesn't tell us that. We just read a couple of the passages on the judgment. It doesn't tell us that. But it does tell us here that you will stand before God. That's my first point, the dead before the throne. He uses that very word, verse 12. I saw the dead standing before the throne. Notice that it qualifies the dead, and this is interesting. Great and small. What does that mean? The great dead and the small dead. Well, I think this is the Bible showing us that no matter who you are or how important you think you are, or how important the world tells you you are. Before that God on the throne, you're not that important. He's the important one. Whether you are the great or the greatest, or whether you're small and insignificant, nobody ever knew who you were or anything you did, you will stand before God. Check your ego at the door. Your bank account doesn't go with you. Your trophies don't go with you. Your resume doesn't go with you. Your kids or grandkids that speak so highly of you don't go with you. You and what you've done will stand before God. Now, who will? All the dead. Think about that. That's a lot of people. How many people have lived? I'd never thought about that too much before, but I got deep into it this week trying to figure it out. How many people have lived? Right now, there's 8 billion living, right now. And in 1900, 123 years ago, the population was estimated to be about 2 billion. So we're growing like crazy. I did learn this week that they think sometime in the near future we're gonna start going down that the population is going to stop increasing and will start decreasing. I don't know much about that. But how many people have ever lived? 
Well, the people that study this say that it's somewhere guessed at 100 to 150 billion people. Eight billion alive today, right now. And so throughout the history of the world, somewhere between 100 and 150 billion, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. The Bible tells us every one of them will stand before God. So I started trying to picture what it would look like to have 100 billion people in a, in a gathering. I don't know a field big enough for that. I've only ever seen a few pictures where there are like a million people together. You know how when they have thunder over Louisville and the helicopter tries to guess how many people are down there? Imagine 100 billion. That's a lot of people. There's only like three to 400 million people in the United States of America. So 100 billion standing before God. But it's not hard to picture that or understand that if he is so big that the earth just ran from him, right? I mean, if, if, if 326 million trillion gallons can get out of his way, then 100 billion can be gathered before him. We're talking about size so big that it ought not uh, confuse us because of how big God is. We're not talking about gathering for a concert or gathering to hear a sermon. We're talking about gathering before the creator. The one who created this earth by the word of his power, by speaking. And he gathers the dead before him. Folks, you need to believe, heartfelt belief, that one day you're going to stand before God. This isn't a religious conversation of somebody trying to change your morals. It's not me trying to get you to vote a certain way. This is trying to get you to care about what matters most, God. This is not trying to change you on the outside at all. We don't give a whole lot of advice here in our church about what you need to do on the outer. But we aim, we aim for the word of God to change you on the inner. And the way you start to change on the inside is for you to feel that one day you're going to meet your maker. It's for you to know I'm going to stand before God. This passage teaches us that. Number one, the dead before the throne. Number two, the books before the book. The books before the book. As soon as verse 12 tells us that he saw the dead standing before the throne, it says, and books were opened. You know what I thought about when I read this? In sports now, we take video of everything. And so everything good that happens, we can watch a replay. And everything bad that happens, we can watch the replay. And coaches love to do this. If you make a bonehead play in the game, coach will say, well, watch the tape. Watch the tape. And you get to gather with your teammates, and they get to expose you right there and say, what were you, what were you thinking? Well, the Bible doesn't say here, watch the tape, but the Bible says the books were opened. In other words, when you stand before God one day, he's going to pull out the books that are the tape of all that you've done. He's got records of everything we've done. The Bible says every word. The Bible says every thought. 
Now, again, you think, yeah, right. I mean, no library is that big. There's no file folder that big. I mean, come on, we're talking about 100 billion people here. He doesn't have that much. Remember, earth and sky just fled out of his presence. God is before time. He has unlimited time and unlimited space. He's God. And so, yes, he does have it all recorded. He's got it all recorded in books. And the Bible teaches us that he will open up the books and go over with us what we've done in our lives. The Bible teaches this. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. I want you to see this. This isn't new coming out of nowhere at the end of the Bible in Revelation. This has been in the Bible before. Daniel 9. I'm sorry, Daniel 7. I can't even read my own handwriting. Daniel 7. Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Sounds familiar, right? It's the very thing we're talking about in Revelation 20. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Look at this next phrase. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. God has books of all that we've done. Now, thankfully, the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere that he's going to share that with everybody else. That that would be very uncomfortable, wouldn't it? You don't want everybody to know everything that you've done. I know that. That would be embarrassing and humiliating for us, but the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere. The Bible doesn't say that God's going to tell your friend or God's going to tell your wife all that you've done, right? I'm not going to expose you like that. At least it doesn't say that. But the Bible does say that he knows. And I hope that bothers you more. God knows our sins. He knows our evil thoughts. He knows the times that we got real ugly with somebody when we were out at a random store and we didn't think anybody was there. He knows what we're like. He knows our hearts. And he has it all recorded in his books. We're going to be judged based off what's in the books. Look, keep going. The next sentence says there's another book, but we're not to that yet. The next sentence says, And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. If you jump down a little bit to the end of verse 13, it says, And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Two times we have, you will be judged according to what you've done, and the books reveal that. The replay doesn't lie. The tape shows it. The video shows it. The books have it. And we will be judged by what we've done. Now, we have a problem kind of in our our world 
where people talk about God and church and the things of God in church with like a halfway knowledge of it. And they're often just really wrong. You hear people say all the time, like, well, d- well God says this. You know, mom always taught me God says this. And, and a lot of the times what people are saying, God didn't say. Y- you've all heard people say before, well, God always said God's not going to give you more than you can't handle. He doesn't say that. God will break you down sometimes. God will break you down. God will put more on your shoulders to where you go, I can't, I can't. I just can't anymore. I can't do it. God loves to break people down so they turn to him. The witch doctor got broken all the way down. He was the head, head of the whole tribe. He was the head of the evil spirits. He came to the place where he had to say, I'm not as good of a leader as I thought I was. I'm not as powerful over the evil spirits as I thought I was. Uh, we need to call the Christians. Well, y'all come in here and pray because I, I can't do it anymore. God will break you down. God will get you to a point where you'll finally admit, I'm, I'm bad at marriage. The reason why I yell at my wife so much and the reason why she's always hurting and the reason why our house is such a chaotic zone of drama is because we're bad at this. We need to change. We need to turn. God will break you down like that. God breaks people down. People talk about God all the time in ways that aren't true. But one of the ways that we do this is about judgment. We'll say things like, oh, I can't walk in that building. It might collapse on me. Or don't lie in church. Can't believe you talk about You cussed in church. Nobody cares about that. God doesn't say anything like that. God doesn't even say anything like that. That's such a bad representation of God, such a misunderstanding of what he's like. If you cuss in the cellar or you cuss in church, it's still your heart acting like that. If you lie to the taxes or you lie here to your preacher, you're still lying. Think about God rightly. Well, one of the ways where this is very real is that we're going to be judged off of what we've done. It says it here. And so earlier, Pastor Matt read that passage from Matthew 25, where we're seeing more detail told about that judgment. Jesus comes back. He gathers everybody in the world before him, kind of the same scene being described. He separates the sheep from the goats, and then he judges them based off of what they've done and That passage shows us based off what they've not done. And we ought to feel that. Because sin, listen, is what you do and it's also what you don't do. I think you've heard this before. There are sins of omission and sins of commission. When you steal, you sin by doing that. When you didn't love, you sin by not doing that. When you fight somebody, you sin by doing that if you're fighting wrongly. When you don't forgive somebody, you sin by not forgiving somebody. So in the judgment, it's not so much the one time that you, you know, lost your cool and had a hot head and said some things you wish you hadn't said. Now, that's a part of it. But it's a whole lot more than that. In that passage in Matthew chapter 25, he says, you saw me hungry and you didn't feed me. That point of judgment is based off, are you feeding hungry people? There's another one in there that says, you saw me in need of clothing and you you did not give me clothing. That point of judgment is based off caring for somebody that has earthly material needs and you didn't do it. So the judgment is not so much, did you say a cuss word when you were standing in this building? That's a rather shallow way to think about God. 
But a big way to think about God is that earth and sky fled from him. He has books written of everything I've ever done, and I'm going to stand before him. He's going to open the books. He's going to go to deal with that, and it's everything that I've done wrong, and it's everything that he wanted me to do for his glory that I didn't do. In other words, I'm in trouble. In other words, tape's not going to lie. He's got it written down. And now that we've gotten this deep into it, how foolish is it every time you hear a man or woman try to convince you that they are good in the sight of God? Every time we try to build ourselves up, well, I've always tried to help everybody. I'm just always trying to be loving to people. We're misunderstanding the God that is the judge. So you've got the books that will open up and he will judge us according to all that we've done. But then there's another book. Remember, point number two is the books before the book. If you look back up to the end of verse 12, it says, then another book was opened. Another book. See, some of the books record everything we've ever done. One of the books, the other book, records everybody that believes. God knows what you've done. He's got it all recorded. But God also knows if your heart really trusts in him. He's got it written down. God knows everything you've ever done, and he's got it written down. But he also knows behind the smoke screen of what you do, whether your heart really loves him. That's a different thing of whether you're good. That's up to you whether you think you're good or not. Okay? When we have your funeral, we'll tell everybody how good you are, I promise. We will. We'll brag on you. We'll, find, we'll dig deep, but we'll find some good on you. But God knows on the inside, in your heart, whether you love him. Whether you have said and come to the place where you said, I cannot save myself. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness. I need a savior. And Jesus is it. That time he died on the cross was for me. The sins that killed him were mine. The death he died was for me. That's my Savior. God knows whether you really believe that. God knows. And if that's you, your name's written in that book. If you're trusting in Christ, your name's written in that book. If you're saved, your name's written in that book. Notice that there are books and there is a Number one, the dead before the throne. Number two, the books before the book. And number three, the lamb before it all. The lamb before it all. Look at verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. On one hand, we are saved 
by Jesus. On the other hand, we are not saved because of what we've done. Those things have to go together. You have to understand that. When you stand before God in judgment, and he were to ask, the Bible doesn't say he's going to ask this, and he were to ask, why should I let you into my heaven, right? It doesn't a joke say when you stand before St. Peter and he's the one who asks, right? The Bible doesn't say anything like that, but that's the way the story goes. If you stand before God or before whoever is at the gate, and they say, why should I let you in? If you say anything about yourself, you're not getting in. Well, I did this, and I worked in the food pantry, and I, I had a needy person that lived beside me, and I always fed them. You know, I always, you know, if we say stuff like that, you're not getting in. But if you claim and believe that Jesus is your only hope, your Savior, you're getting in. Because the book of life is called the Lamb's book of life. The book of life is called the Lamb's book of life. Let me show you this. I'm going to show you three places, okay? Three places. If you're taking notes, write these down. They're all in Revelation. 13a, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. That's the beast. We talked about that back in chapter 13, the first beast. All the people on earth will worship the beast except everyone whose name has not been, well, the people that worship him are everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. The first place, Revelation 13, 8, that the book of life is the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. The book of life, the one single book of everybody saved, is the book of the life of the Lamb. That's 13, 8. Now look at 17, 8. Look at 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Jump down to verse 14. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. In verse 8, we have the book of life again, the single book. We have the foundation again that the names were written in the book before the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world, it says here, 13.8 and 17.8. Now the last place is 21.27. 21.27. These are three passages in Revelation, they tell us more about the book of life and cause it the Lamb's book of life. 21, 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. It's talking about heaven, the new Jerusalem. 
but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The third point here is the Lamb before it all. That Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that has been God's plan before all time. That Jesus being the Savior is not God's second plan. It's not his plan B. It's not, oh, no, I created this world to worship me, and they really messed it up, so I've got to come to a solution. Okay, I'll send my son. No. The Bible doesn't teach that at any place. The Bible teaches that from the beginning, it's been God's plan for God to be a saving God, a forgiving God, a redeeming God, because you and I love his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his redemption and his heart and who he is because he does that. He doesn't make good people that love their God. He saves sinful people that feel redeemed and accepted when they weren't worthy to be redeemed and accepted, that he did that through the value of his son. The book of life is called the Lamb's book of life because the way you get saved is through Christ. The way you not get saved is to sin. You're, ju you're judged according to what you've done. But the way you get saved is to trust in Christ. So what you've done will disqualify you from heaven. It will never qualify you for heaven. What you've done will disqualify you from heaven. What Jesus has done will qualify you for heaven if you're trusting in him. Nearly everywhere that we see the book of life in the Bible, we see the lamb. When the singular book is brought up, it's the lamb. It's the lamb's book. Because there is no eternal life without Jesus. Jesus' work on the cross is God's solution to the world. It is the holy God becoming sinful man and then dying on the cross for us. And the only answer is for you to believe it with all your heart. The only answer is for you to commit to it, surrender to it, to submit to it and say, yes, he loves me and he died for me and I believe that. The lamb before it all. Now we can't miss... The passages are also saying that that book was filled with those names before the foundation of the world. That's fascinating, isn't it? The way we should understand that is this. That the way God is working out all things in the world is through videos like we just watched, services like we're doing this morning, lives that we live every day, like Lottie Moon is talking about, where we go and live our lives sharing the gospel with everybody we can, looking for people to respond. As people hear the gospel and they trust in Christ, it's confirming that the book is filled with all sorts of names that people are being saved. God is a saving God, a sin forgiver, and whoever trusts in Christ will be saved. And the proof that it was a huge salvation and a heart change and they've been transferred over into the kingdom of God is that it's not just their decision, it was God's decision too. And their name is written in the single book. All of our lives are recorded in the books. If you'll trust in Christ, your name's in the book. May you believe that Christ the Lamb is before all. Now, the thing about a judgment 
at least the way I think about it. And I really hate this about the way judgments and court cases go in our day. Almost all the court cases we hear about, we, we're like, well, we don't know what they're going to decide. We have to see how it goes. You ever been on jury duty and felt the pressure? Having to make a decision, are they guilty or innocent? And almost all court cases are that way, especially the high-profile ones. I mean, everybody's got their opinion. He totally did it. Oh, he totally didn't do it. I, I hope he gets off. I hope he doesn't. I hope they punish him. I hope he's free. He gets set free, right? That's the way we think about all of them, most all of them. At least that's the way we hear people talk about it. We hear of cases and soon-to-be judgments, and we're like, I don't know what they're going to decide. That's a shame. Folks, in this court case, in this judgment, there will be none of that. There will be none of that. It's already been decided that you're guilty, and you know it. You feel it. But it's also already been decided that Christ took your punishment. See, before this judgment happens, there's already been a judgment on the cross. God's not coming back wild and reckless to judge the world because he's upset. God is the judge, the holy and righteous and true judge. When Christ returned in Revelation 19, verse 11 that we studied, we saw him called faithful and true. There's already been a judgment. God judged the sins of the world in his son. When God turned the back on his son, Jesus Christ, and killed him. Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on the cross, Christ was forsaken by his father because he was being judged for your sins. If you go into the second judgment without the first judgment, without trusting in the first judgment, you will be judged and sent to the second death, which is hell. But you shouldn't, and you don't have to, because you can trust the first judgment was for me. When Christ was crucified on the cross, it was for my sins. May you believe that the Lamb of God was killed for you in your sins. May you repent of that and that giant God seated on the throne that reigns in earth and sky flee from him is your Father who's accepted you and loves you and forgiven you. May you not fear the judge because you know the judge. May you not worry about the verdict. And that's very common, isn't it? There are a lot of people who say, I don't, man, I don't know. Man, if I die tonight, I don't know where I'm going. I, I, I don't know what, what God would think of me. I'm not really sure. You know, there's a lot of people that talk like that. May you know God Almighty loves me, sent his son for me, died for me, rose again and lives, and my hope is in him. May your life prove that your name is in the book. And may your humility, your brokenness, and your repentance prove that you know about the books. Let me say it again. May your life and faith prove 
that your name is in the book, Repentance, the Lamb. And may your humility, your brokenness, and your repentance prove that you know about the books. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God, before all. God, we thank you for the reminder that we will all stand before you. We thank you for the reminder of the books and the book. We thank you that there's already been a judgment. There's a judgment coming that will come for people, but there's a judgment that already came that came on Jesus. Father, we pray that you would work that in our hearts. And may we respond with faith and repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ and gone public with it, do it. We're a church that loves to see people come to faith. We